Bibles open to that Bible reading, that would be great. In Romans 3, I come from the Central Coast and I talk like an Aussie bogan, so I'm sorry if English isn't your first language and I speak too quickly or say things that are hard to understand, so please bear with me. But let's pray and ask that God's Word will speak to us. Father God, we thank you for the Bible which is able to make us wise for salvation. Salvation is only through faith in Christ Jesus. We ask today that your word will be our guide, that your spirit will be our teacher, and that your glory will be our greatest concern. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to church. I know it's the first time I've been here as well, but welcome to you. And I want to ask you a question. Out of 10, how religious would you say you are? What score would you give yourself out of 10? Okay, so maybe if you're trying to think how I work out my religiousness uh, score, you could give you a point for each of these answers. If you say yes, give yourself a point, okay? You don't have to tell us out loud. Uh, I'm not going to test you. Mike's not going to come and speak to you afterwards. Okay, so first, first point, have you been baptised? One point. You get two points if you're child baptised or you're half a point. But if you've been baptised, you get a point. Have you been confirmed? You get, give yourself a point. Have you grown up in a church-going family? Another point. There's a few points there for some of us. Do you come to church every Christmas and Easter? Give yourself a point. Take one off if you don't come to one of them. No joking. Have you played music in church? Give yourself a religious point. Um, or you're on a roster of some sort. You clean the toilets or you help out a morning tea. Give yourself a point. Or you've taught the Bible to children. Another religious point. Or you know a lot of Bible stories like Noah uh, and the flood and Daniel and the lion's den. Give yourself another point. My guess is that if we went round to the streets of Minchinbury or went up to Rudy Hill, went to the RSL, and we're talking to people there, they would probably, most people would say, yes, I am religious. In fact, in 2016, uh, the majority of Australians said, yeah, we're, we're religious, we actually call ourselves Christian. So some 61% of Australians, isn't that a big number? said that they identified as a Christian. So people still believe in God. Some people, many people still see themselves as religious. And so they often feel the need to do religious stuff, like drop into church for the odd occasion, on special occasions, or that might even be you today. You might come just once every now and then. Or you might come week in, week out, every week of the year. Rain, hail, or shine. Now, our Bible passage today spells out something pretty incredible, that being religious can be one of the most dangerous things we can do. Being religious can be very dangerous, 
In fact, our religiousness and doing these religious things can be one of the biggest obstacles between us and God. Now, how is that possible? Well, it seems that the Bible isn't offer, offering us religion, it's offering us something else instead, much better than that. So that's what we're going to be looking at together this morning. Now, I'm going to try something that I tried at the earlier service, and we'll see how it goes, okay? It's a part of Paul's conversation. So from chapter 3, verse 1 to 8, Paul has an imagined conversation between himself and somebody who would be asking questions from a religious background, from a Jewish religious background. And so the person in the hat, that's the person asking the question. And the person without the hat is Paul answering the question. Now you get that it's all Paul, that he's proposing the question and then answering his own question. So hopefully this makes some sense to you. Okay, so the, the questions that the, the person's asking is, is there advantage about being brought up in the family of believers, in a, in a Jewish setting? Is there an advantage of being brought up in God's tribe? the elect people of God. So let's check out this, this hypothetical conversation. Paul, is there any advantage in being a Jew? Yes. Well, <clears throat> Paul, what about unfaithful Jews? Don't they cancel God's faithfulness? Don't they wipe it out, nullify it? No way. Let God be true and every other person a liar. So if I'm sinful, that highlights God's mercy, right? So I'm actually helping God show his goodness. Does that mean God's unjust in bringing his wrath against me and against us? No way. God is a holy, righteous judge. So, Paul, someone might say that if my life of lies enhances how truthful God is and shows how truthful God is, why am I condemned as a sinner? Well, that's the same as saying, let's do evil so that good things might come about. Paul says... Your judgment, your condemnation is just for the wrong things that you do. So that's a pretty interesting conversation, isn't it, that Paul sets up there. Paul says, yes, it's, it's good to be part of God's people. It's good to, for those who were Jews to be Jews and be, be part of God's people, to be the ones who have been given the word of God and to be part of his community. And he also says, your sinfulness doesn't undo God's goodness. The sinfulness of the Jews, that over and over and over and over time that they sinned against him, they failed him, that doesn't undo God's goodness. And then the, the conversation continues from verse 9. So person 1 again says, so is there advantage to being a Jew then? Is there advantage to Jewish people get special treatment before God on the day of judgment because they've been brought up in a family of believers. Paul says, no, not at all. 
Why not, Paul? What's going on? They don't get advantage because they all fall under the charge, both Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, they're all under the power of sin. See, Paul's clear that the good news is that if you are a Jew, you have the word of God, you're part of uh, the, the community of God, but, but whether you're a Jew or not a Jew, there's no advantage in itself before God because all are sinners. Jews and Gentiles, all are sinners. So how does that apply to us today? Well, this is one of the most significant truths that Christians must uphold in our modern world. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, again, calls on the church of the living God, calls the, the church the pillar and foundation of the truth. We have to be people of the truth. God's, God's people have to be of the truth. That's what, this is one of the central truths that the church must hold up, that it's like a pillar that holds up the building. So there's constant pressures throughout history on individuals and institution and culture to be built around wrong ideas. And you see that in different countries throughout all history. God has appointed the church of his son Jesus to be a mighty advocate for the truth, to be a pillar of the truth. And this truth that we're seeing here is one of the most important things that you can declare to your family, to your children, to your, your family members, your parents, your brothers and sisters, your cousins, and in your workplace. This is one of the most important truths that Minchinbury Anglican can, can hold up in your community. And that is that all people are under sin. All people are under sin. When I was ministering in Nara, as I shared earlier, there was a young lady in our young adults Bible study group, and she started coming uh, for a few months. And one day she said, look, I think you guys talk too much about sin. I was like, oh, okay. Um, well, basically all we did each week was get together, like you guys do, read the Bible, see what God's Word has to say and, and, and apply it to our lives. But she said, yeah, you, I think you talk too much about sin. Do you ever feel like she might be right? That Christians are in danger of being massive killjoys and overly negative? Well, you're often tempted to think, sometimes tempted to think, we're pretty much really, really good people, just a little bit, like 99% saint, 1% sinner. And when I was down there, uh, I had to take a lot of funerals in my role. And during funerals, people, whether they realised they were doing it or not, they would actively challenge this idea that all people are sinners. And they, they would be horrified to think that their loved one who passed away was a sinner. And so people would say all sorts of things in their eulogies. They, they'd try and sum up the grand total of 84 years of life or however old they were in, a, in five minutes. And they would say things like, he was a really, really great guy. He'd even mow the lawn of the old lady next door. He did that for 10 years. He didn't charge her anything. Or, you know, she was, she was great. She was fantastic. She would have a cup of tea with anyone. She'd talk your ear off. It was really great. She, she even helped out on Meals on Wheels on Thursday. Lovely lady. 
And then often when the children were, often when it was younger people, so young adults or people who died in their 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that, people would often say things like, heaven needed her there more than we needed her here. And they would give sentiments like that idea. You know, and these, these are nice things to say, I guess, about someone, but do they represent the truth? Are they an accurate summary of someone's life and standing before God? Most importantly, would, would God say those things? Would God say, they are right with me because of the things that uh, you've said at the eulogy? I don't know if you've ever seen uh, this on, on YouTube. They have real-life uh, movie trailers. They're, they're pretty funny, some of them. Uh, they, they tell you the truth of the movie. They're not like the hype of a, a, a normal trailer. They're just, this is how it is. And it's, they're quite, quite amusing. They cut out the hype, give a real summary of the movie. Well, Paul does a similar thing here. It's sort of like a real-life eulogy. He, 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 you can imagine him looking at the coffin, looking at each member of the congregation, eyeballing each one of them, and telling them the truth. And, and this, is, this, this is the truth that he says from verse 10, from verse 9, sorry, chapter 3. He says, What then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, as it is written. This is his summary of what the Bible says about mankind, about you and I. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. What a piercing assessment of life, of your life, of my life. It's a, it really is a shocking accusation, isn't it, from, from Paul? Against every Jew, every Gentile, non-Jew, every Australian, every Filipino, every Chinese person, every Buddhist, every Muslim, every atheist, every secularist, every Christian, every non-Christian, every man, every woman, and every child. And then he goes on in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law, he's talking about the Old Testament law, whatever the law um, says speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. He's saying this is what the Old Testament law does. This is what God's word does. The whole, it presents the holiness of God, his perfect goodness. It shows us what it would be like to, to need to live a perfect life as if that was possible. But the law shows us, no, again and again, we, we, we can't live up to it. We can't live up to God's expectations. And Romans 3 highlights our sinfulness. 
our brokenness, our failure, our uncleanness, our unholiness. Because of the law, because of God's word, we become action, we become acutely aware of our sin. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? But here's the good bit. Here's the kicker. God is doing us a favour by pointing out our sinfulness. So when someone says, man, the Bible talks way too much about sin, well, we can say, yeah, it does talk a lot about sin. But we must know our position before the Lord. Why, Why is that important? Why is it so crucial? Well, Paul's consumed with being so blunt in telling people their situations because he knows if we don't understand our diagnosis, we don't understand we're sick, we're not going to accept the cure. If we don't know we're sick, why would we take the medicine? You know, one of, our, one of the children that we um, compassion support in the Philippines, his name's Joshua, they discovered a little while back that he had a brain tumour. And in the Philippines, if you're living in poverty and you discover something like that, normally the kids just go home and live with their family until they, they die from the disease because they can't afford to do anything about it. But um, praise the Lord, he was sponsored and compassion were able to care for him. He had a brain, he had brain surgery and now he has chemotherapy and he's doing really, really well. But imagine if his doctor thought to himself, I'm not going to tell this nice young man that he has a brain tumour. How distressing that would be for him. I don't want to upset him. Joshua's a nice kid. I don't want to be rude. I'll just leave him be in, in his situation and not tell him. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? If he knew he was sick, and once he was told he was sick, only then could he have the operation and take the, the medicine that he needs to. He can only then accept the cure. And it's only when we know that we are riddled with sin are we going to accept the cure from God. And we have enormous pressure in this world to be quiet about this truth. You, you might have seen that this week in the paper. There was a bit of an outcry there about some scripture teaching material that was saying all sinful people deserve death. The Bible, despite the reality of sin, despite the news being so awful, knowing your your position before God is essential before you're going to accept a saviour. So is it okay for compassion to share this news about being sinful with children and their families? Is it okay to say you are need, your sin is in the need of a saviour? You might have heard of Israel Folau. He's a rugby player. Um, recently he wrote an article and uh, it's called uh, I'm a Sinner Too. And the question is, is it okay? The question is in the media, is it okay for Israel to, to, to write this article and say I'm a sinner too? Um, because in his article he says, no man or woman is different from another. If you sin, which we all do, and do not repent and seek forgiveness you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that okay for him to say that sort of thing? Well, of course it's okay. Not only because we live in a free and democratic society and you should be able to, free speech is integral to, to, to our country, but because he's pointing out our problem and, and, and he's also presenting the cure. 
The message about sin and our brokenness before God is actually the gateway. Once we know that, that that's the gateway that opens up a hope-giving, life-giving truth. Isn't that something, something deeply satisfying about someone who knows your deepest brokenness and says, I love you. And I know that there's a way you can be made right with God and made right with others. Isn't that lots, so much more hope-giving than just saying, all is well, all is well, everybody's fine and perfect and it's all good, when deep down you know that things are not good. Isn't it good to teach people on their deathbed that if they, if they don't trust in Jesus, things are not good. They're not okay with him, with God. Isn't it loving to tell your friends, that even though they might not have thought about it, there's a huge problem between them and God. Now, at first appearances, it might sound morbid and cruel to say to somebody, did you know that you're a sinner? But in reality, that's true love. To help people see that they are sick and they need a saviour. That there's a cure and his name is Jesus. If you ignore the cure, you die. If you accept Jesus, you live. And so as, you, as we read Paul's uh, diagnosis in this section, we keep thinking, this is, this is good. This is good. This is true. Because for all this bad news about my condition and about your condition, there is a remedy. And the only reason for uh, the Bible, God telling us this bad news, is so that we will understand the remedy and we will take the medicine. We will accept salvation being made right by God, freely given to those who trust in Jesus. And you know, we love these compassion-sponsored kids. We love caring for their needs, their physical needs, providing food for them, health care for them, giving them good educations and the prospects for a future. But our greatest hope for these children, and for their families, is that Jesus come to their home that they trust in Jesus to save them from their sin. Because their need and our greatest need, and the greatest need of our community, is that they be rescued from sin. And Jesus is the only hope of that being able to happen. So uh, we're going to finish in prayer. We're going to give thanks to God for what he's done for us in his son. And we're going to ask for forgiveness for our sin, which has kept us away from him. So let's, let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for um, the reminder, the diagnosis, uh, for the, the strong words from your word this morning that remind us that we are sin, sinners, that we're broken before you, that whether we're Jew or Gentile, whether we're from Australia or from another country around the world, Lord, that we are broken before you, that we're all sinners, and we all need a saviour. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has died on the cross to wash away our sin. Thank you, Father. Please help us to put our trust in him always. We praise you for your goodness in showing us our saviour, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Friends, we've heard the word of God. But we don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word.
We're going to move into a time of reflection. Let me encourage you to write some thoughts down. Uh, we're going to sing in just a moment to reflect again on God's love for us in Christ. But after that, we'll share in discussion and question time. But even now, you can start to write down uh, some thoughts that you learned today, reminded of today, or encouraged by uh, things that you're going to put into practice uh, in your life. I'm going to invite the band to, uh, to come down as we prepare to sing.